Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. We are looking at everybody involved in the beating of Tyree Nichols. New moment in the battle against COVID. Announcing the end of the emergencies. The COVID spending needs to end now. Texas. Announcing a border czar. A significant ice storm is in progress. Thousands of flights delayed or canceled. We at the Fed, the time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. Welcome in. It is News and Views. And uh, boy, it feels like snow out there. I know it's still in the 40s, but, uh, you know, sometimes it just feels like snow. Well, I think we're going to be lucky not to get, we'll say, some, some kind of precipitation. So Tom is retiring. Brady, not Lamprecht. Tom Brady said uh, he's retiring for good at this time. Exactly one year ago, Brady said he was retiring, changed his mind a few days later, and uh, returned for one more year. Uh, Brady won six Super Bowls with the New England Patriots and one with the Tampa Tampa Bay Bucks. (laughs) I saw a a meme on social media that someone put together and said that Tom Brady, once he lost for the first time in his career to the Dallas Cowboys, it was final time to retire. (laughs) 45, I mean – there's been a couple of guys that were a quarterback that played into the 40s but i not on a not as a starter and, and yeah not at that uh success rate either no, you know no. i mean he's he's been pretty productive news and observer is reporting senate republicans advance the controversial now this is their word controversial parents bill of rights today after a lengthy and heated opposition from some legislators parents and students who say the law would be harmful to lgbtq students and a burden on school districts and educators harmful for lgbtq students because their parents might find out if the child wants to change genders that's how it's it's harmful uh and listen the democrat lawmakers came out and resisted the bill citing potential harm to marginalized students, arguing the bill would add stress to an understaffed school system, which I'm sorry, that's an absolute crock. Uh, Maybe if the school system focused on the three R's instead of LGBTQ, CRT, and equity, they wouldn't have these stress issues. Anyway, uh, North Carolina, it looks like, will be getting a parent's bill of rights. Now, does this compare to uh, what we saw down in florida which uh, i hope it does that uh, it seems like that was a very positive uh to talk about it um john locke has a uh, strategic projects and government affairs manager he testified to the north carolina legislature today the senate uh, committee uh, andre bolova he uh, is with us now andre good to have you with us and uh, welcome to news and views Give us give us the Reader's Digest of what is in this Parents' Bill of Rights for North Carolinians. Sure. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you having me on. You bet. Yeah, happy to, happy to chat about it. Sure. So a couple things. I think, first of all, and I, I was uh, listening to, to y'all, the, the lead-in here, uh, I, I, will, I will say this. Uh, this bill is very different in a lot of ways from the bill in Florida. Okay. It seems to be a talking point from those on the left and Demo- Democrat uh, advocates who, who are opposing this bill. Uh, you know, opposition to this bill, they seem to try to be equating it to the, the Florida bill as a way to uh, inject national level, national level talking points uh, instead of actually having solid uh, and real and reasonable conversations about uh, 
you know, parental empowerment and education. So I just want to say, say that up front. They, they use that as a talking point, but it's very different. Yeah, th- this bill actually has some uh, what should be common sense areas of public policy in it. Uh, common sense because I think these are things that uh, all of us up until recently just took for granted. The idea that uh, parents should be steering, parents should be in charge and effectively have the final say over their child's education, their physical, emotional, spiritual well-being. And apparently there are people who believe that that's not the case. People seem to think that, uh, you know, the agents of the state uh, and other uh, should uh, actually be leading the charge on uh, on all these things for for children. Um, so effectively, what what this bill is 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 doing is saying, well, no, uh, children are not the property of the state. Uh, the children, the, the parents, are to take the lead on all of these on on their education and well being. So the bill puts into statute uh, essentially empowering parents by making uh, school curriculum, instructional materials. Uh, elements of you know sort of the administrative process in schools it it, uh, creates mechanisms of transparency so parents can be more actively engaged involved in their students educational experience in a very holistic way they can see what's in the curriculum they can you know uh, know what's going on in the student you know records if if their if their child is you know meeting with you know different people in the school effectively what this is is they are uh, parents can and will no longer be hoodwinked as to what is going on in schools with their children. You know, when a, when a parent drops off their child at school or they get on the bus, you know, their, uh, their, their position as parents and as, you know, the, the steers of their, of their child's well-being doesn't end. And, and all the bill is saying is that, you know, that, that that's the case, that parents should be directing all of this and that schools should be transparent on what they're, on, on, on what they're providing. For the children, I mean that's really the crux of what we're talking here. We can right. get into, yeah, some of the more wonky parts of the bill, but effectively that's what it does. It is to be more transparent, to allow parental empowerment and engagement uh, in in schools. And there's, I mean, there's also elements in the bill. There's a whole section uh, about a parent. I think it's the a parent's achievement guide. I think is what they're calling it. And, and really, what it says is it's showing this guide so parents can see the achievement level of what their students are doing. And with the learning loss that we've seen, you know, since the COVID-19 lockdowns, I think parents need this, this guide to be able to see, is my student actually achieving and excelling in, in school? So, uh, you know, uh, our, our organization, the, the John Locke Foundation, is, is very supportive of this bill. We believe that anything we can do to increase transparency, increase uh, parental empowerment is, is a positive thing. And that's really what the bill is doing. We're talking to Andrew uh, Andre uh, Bolova, who was at the John Locke Foundation on the Parents' uh, Bill of Rights. Uh, you know, I, I, I downloaded the 11-page bill. It's a fairly easy read, and there's a lot of, you know, whatnots and who there and whereas is in there. But uh, you know, it's, it, the way you described it, I actually wrote down in my notes, if you had to introduce this bill in 1960, parents would have looked at you and saying, why are you wasting time? Yeah, well, why are you <laughs> wasting time for what is common sense and natural law? That's but right. but yet uh, that's where we are. And I guess we have to do it. You could have also probably named the bill something like uh, uh, government schools. Please keep your hands off of our kids because so much of this bill is directed to the, the school system. I noticed at the uh, towards the end of the bill, it also talks about um, uh, uh, medica- uh, medical coverage of the bill and, and what um, 
professional uh, doctors and people in the prof- in the medical community uh, what they can and can't do in terms of informing parents. And I noticed that there was a, which I thought was fairly small, a $5,000 penalty if they broke the law. But I didn't, I don't remember seeing anything uh, in, in this bill that would, um, uh, well, for, uh, n- n- a better way of putting it is to punish anybody that breaks the law as it relates to the education aspect of this bill. And uh, quite frankly, if there if there isn't any teeth in it, I can see the government's certain people in in the government school system. They'll just say, well, you know what, we're, we're just not going to say anything to the parents, whether whether you pass this SB 49 or not. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I mean, as with any law, I mean, we're gonna, the, uh, the policy might be sound, but its implementation is always uh, another thing. So if the bill is passed, if the bill passes and this becomes law. I mean, I think we'll have to see how this plays out. I think uh, you, you can almost be guaranteed that uh, whether what you're describing or something else, there's likely going to be, I would imagine, litigation to some degree that's going to come because of, of this bill. Uh, there are, uh, my read on the bill, there, there are recourses in there. I mean, obviously, that the, if the, there are items in statute that talks about if you, know, if you violate statute, it is, it is against the law. I don't know uh, off, uh, off the top of my head what, what those specific penalties are, but obviously you cannot violate the law. There are rules that the school has to engage in. The bill also, I, I believe my read on it, also has a, a private course of action that people can potentially take if they feel the law is, is not followed. So, I mean, obviously once the, once, once the law is on the books, there's always going to be recourse for, for breaking the law, but I think, uh, we can, I think we can envision there will likely be uh, litigation of different sorts that will likely come uh, from this from this bill, most likely from uh, people who are just going to uh, test the waters to see how enforceable it might be. Now, the Senate, this is a Senate bill. The House had a similar bill in, in the last session. Uh, is there somebody taking this up in the House, or do, will the Senate pass it and then hand it over to the House? How will that work? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I can't speak to what uh, what you know what either caucus, the uh, Republicans or Democrat caucus in either chamber uh, are doing. This, this is a bill that was, that was filed by the, the Senate Education Chairs. Uh, I imagine they're talking with uh, with their their house colleagues. Uh, what will happen? So I, I I would imagine that if the bill passes through the Senate, which of course uh, Republicans have a, a supermajority in the Senate, so they're they're going to have no issue uh, passing it through the Senate. I guess the question then would be for House Republicans is you know can they get the one or two Democrats on board that they need uh, to override a gubernatorial veto? Which you uh, know is coming. The- you know that's coming, right? Oh, for, for it, it's definitely coming. So, I mean, I'm sure there's uh, that, that that would be the strategy though going forward, I guess, is, uh, for the House. But so far as the actual conversations or what the bill's uh, journey is, I, I I can't speak to that because I don't know. Uh, Andre Benny Hardy here. I, and full disclosure, I hadn't had a chance to read the actual bill, but I've read some summaries from a couple of agencies. One being the News Observer, which sometimes I take for. A grain of salt but it says what's in the bill one thing it says it says the right to consent or withhold consent for participation in reproductive health and safety education programs how about tell me exactly what it says in the bill as it relates to that yeah i i my my read on on those particular sections is i think it allows a parent to decide whether or not they want their child to participate in in the specific uh you know course curricula when, when it comes to things like um, you know, any any like in a in like a, a health class, for example, there's going to be specific conversations about, uh, you know, like uh, you know, you know, sexual practices or 
or things like that. My read on the bill is that this allows parents effectively to have an opt-in, opt-out if they want their you know child taking specific sex ed classes. Uh, and what ages do that cover from from k through what uh so the, the there's there's language in the bill about curriculum about um specifically about curriculum about gender gender um identity sexuality and sexual activity and the bill carves that out in curriculum about uh k through fourth grade okay so that that particular section talks about the, the, the curriculum of the bill but as far as the opt-in opt-out language i don't know that it's necessarily constrained what that section of the bill says that that kind of language or that kind of that kind of stuff cannot be part of the curriculum in k through four but the parents ability to opt in and opt out i would have to reread that but my understanding is that that is not uh only for uh k k through four uh, as far as a a parent's ability to say i don't want my child in uh you know, in a sex ed class, for example. Uh, well, well as, as you know, the the left, progressive left, and Democrats, you know, will be the first thing they will say. Well, you know, what what do parents know about educating children? We're in the educating <laughs> business. Uh, I mean, you know, that's coming. Um, so, I, you know, I guess th- things that you know used to be given. Uh, I mean, Common hey, sense. there are ki- there are kids. Yeah. Uh, it, it, no, it doesn't take a village; it takes parents. Yeah. <laughs> you there know. You well, you know, the other thing, too, though, is it's I'm not so concerned because the number of stories that come across our desk that we cover day after day, week after week, it seems like the bigger problem are things like after school clubs, not the curricula, but after school clubs. And uh, would this, you know, would this cover uh, everything from the time the child walks in the front door to the time the child leaves on the school bus? Uh, so there are there are uh, sections in the bill that do address uh, like extracurricular activities. I think it does address uh, clubs. Um, you know, as far as the the parent having the ability to know what's going on, I I, I, I don't recall the particular section, but I, I do think there are there there's at least one section in the bill that says a parent would have the right to see like uh, you know what a what a club a particular club's mission statement is, for example, uh, and things like that. So the, the bill does cover. Uh, those areas. So far, again, this is about the transparency and parent empowerment. The bill is saying that if a parent wants to know what's going on in a particular club that their child is a member of, they they have the right to know that information and the school will have to provide that. So, Andre, does uh, John Locke have any kind of white paper or any kind of description that our listeners could go to and uh, get more information on this? Sure. So we have plenty of research on our on our website. If you go to uh, johnlock.org, you, you will, you'll find it. Uh, we have uh, research papers on uh, Parents' Bill of Rights. Our uh, policy researchers in, in education have there's plenty of plenty of uh, information we have up on there. We had uh, a bill language that we had suggested the, in the last biennium. There's going to be uh, reports also that people could see on uh, our news outlet, Carolina Journal, that'll be talking about this bill and some summaries of that as well. So, yeah, I encourage anyone who's interested in, in, in this or, or, or anything regarding education, policy or if you're interested in, in school choice uh our our website will will have plenty of plenty of reading opportunities that, that's one thing you will always get with with uh, engaging with a public policy think tank is we will give you plenty to read that's for sure andre thanks a million do appreciate it andre bolivo from uh, the john locke foundation thanks for your insights thank you all right stay with us benny and i'll be right back get the information you need here to be informed and stay informed Put your song in this heart of mine Put your smile on my face every time Cause I love a rainy night 
Welcome back in. Uh, taking a look at your weather forecast. It, it will be a rainy night. Occasional showers overnight. Tomorrow, the rain is really supposed to be uh, pretty heavy. Uh, 90% chance of rain tomorrow, and uh, the high tomorrow is 41. Uh, rain will go into tomorrow night with a low in the mid-30s. Will we see any white stuff or icy stuff? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. It'll be close. Right now, uh, the forecast says nothing about uh ice or snow but uh hey listen kids keep praying and you never know that's a cold 24 hours on friday and saturday though. yeah, yeah. saturday's high is like uh, mid 30s upper 30s maybe might get to 38 as a high um 63 years ago in 1960 four heroic black college students began a sit-in protest at the woolworth lunch counter in greensboro north carolina uh, it was uh, probably about a year ago that we had Clarence Henderson on, who was one of the four. Uh, what's interesting about Clarence is he is he is like the Jason Whitlock of uh, <laughs> Greensboro. This guy is very, very, very common sense, very conservative. And uh, but uh, it happened 63 years ago today. So it is uh, National Change Your Password Day. <laughs> There's no usually you got some uh, food on this uh, cheat sheet here, uh, Clark. There's no uh, national. Well, we'll find out something, figure out something. I'll circle back on that one. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back in the good old days when we <laughs> we had a press secretary that would at least circle back. No. Well, and yeah, she, I mean, that was as nasty as she got. Yeah, I mean, this the new one, Jean Pierre, basically says, "Shut up and go away." Um, speaking of shutting up and going away, the uh, FBI went up to Rehoboth and uh, searched the Biden vacation home. Now, the Biden attorneys came out and said, well, they didn't find anything marked as classified. <laughs> well, that's because perhaps Joe took it out of the original folder that was in that said classified. Yeah. Because the truth of the matter is now, listen, the mainstream media, well, I don't know. The mainstream media might actually go after Joe because that looks like that's a theme going on now. But uh, Joe's lawyers, oh, they didn't, take, you know, they didn't find anything. But they, they took boxes from his house. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, if it's nothing, why would they take all these boxes to examine in more detail? Yeah, and he's been going up there, gosh, seems like every weekend. So, uh well, he went last, you know, he, yeah. he hasn't been going to his Wilmington home because they've been searching that high and low. So more recently, he's gone to his Rehoboth home. Um, the White House today was asked by uh, the, the reporters there, the journalists there, about, uh, okay, what exactly is going on at, at Rehoboth? What do they find? What are they looking for? And as you can imagine... White House counsel, they gave their typical cut to their typical non-answer. Has the FBI conducted any searches of any other locations associated with the president that you or the White House is aware of? Uh, look, I think we're providing information as this goes on and answering questions about the, the search activities as they've been happening. I don't want to speak too much to the DOJ's practices in an ongoing investigation. So I can say, you know, that, that we have cooperated fully. The president's personal attorneys have provided information to DOJ. We've addressed openly and directly the uh, searches that were conducted 
uh, first at the president's Wilmington residence and then today uh, at the Rehoboth residence. You saw in the statement that was released by the president's personal attorney, for example, that no documents with classified markings were found in Rehoboth today. And so, you know, we're going to continue to try to provide information as this investigation goes on and ensure that you guys have the ability to share with the American people sort of the information uh, that 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 is important for them to see as as the president's cooperating with this investigation. And so I don't. So I want to be very careful to respect the integrity of that investigation, <laughs> not speak too much to the Justice Department's decision making. And yeah, they're really worried about respecting the DOJ and the criminal investigation. <laughs> that was Ian Sams, by the way, the senior advisor to the White House Counsel. Uh, again, you know, they they look smell guilty. Just saying. Interestingly, there is a new um, report out from the Columbia Journalism Review. The uh, chief writer of this, a guy named Jeff Gerth, he has come out in this report and uh, said that Bob Woodworth, the Washington Post, all the president men's guy, um, he is now coming out and condemning other journalists um, because of their Russiagate coverage. Now, this is, I think, also this story could be called Stick a Fork in Joe, He's Done. <laughs> because, now, I mean, in, in, in Bob Woodworth's defense, on January 15th, 2017, he spoke of the Christopher Steele dossier, and he said it was a garbage document. But he didn't scream from the housetops. I mean, no. he, he made that comment back on January 15th, 2017. And then he let the, the dossier do what it was intended to do, to vilify Trump, to try to take him down, to hamstring him. And he was perfectly fine with that happening. Now he's coming back and, and strutting like a peacock as if he was the only honest journalist out there. And again, granted, he said that once, but he didn't run with it. And here's the other thing. How is it? I mean, now they're all saying that this was obviously done by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC. Why is it that we don't have the DOJ going after Hillary Clinton? I mean, you talk about fraud and trying to. I mean, they, they go up there and talk about what happened on January 6th. As she if, was Secretary of State, she wasn't the president yeah. um, or vice president. Um, but yet she went in there knowing full well that what she was doing was dishonest. She was she was trying to overturn mm -hmm. an election to her favor. Yep. I mean, what do we hear about Donald Trump? Oh, he tried to you know he's trying to overturn the 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 2020 election where Joe Biden legitimately won. What did she do in 2016? Now she didn't get away with it with lawyers hired by her campaign. Yeah. I mean, it's just. I, I can't I can't believe we were are where we are with our justice department and the and the justice I mean the justice is blind to anything that goes on with the with the Democrat party and um I mean this is no different this search for Biden's uh beach house I mean gosh the first documents were found in what November I know October but prior yeah prior prior to, to the November election. so it was in October when they found them so to me, if you're really concerned and hey, and have a concern, well, let's look at all of his properties. Let's go ahead yeah. and let's go ahead and search all of his properties, and and all his cars. I mean, you don't th <laughs> look if they find anything at his beach house, it's because someone planted it there in the Democrat Party. I don't care what anybody says because if his personal lawyers and they're really representing him, they got rid of that stuff weeks ago. Oh, yeah.
Jeff Gurth apparently interviewed Christopher Steele for this uh, report, this uh, Columbia Journalism Review report. Christopher Steele said, quote, that his raw intelligence reports were meant only for client oral briefing rather than a finished and assessed written intelligence product. (laughs) So in other words... It's bull. Well, I mean, basically what he's saying is if I verbally lied to you, it's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you put it in writing, oh, that's taking it too far. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's worse than that, uh, you know, people are all over uh, Kevin McCarthy about kicking kicking Adam Schiff off the Intelligence Committee. Well, Adam Schiff knew that this information was a lie before anyone else did. Oh, yeah. And he repeatedly... Waste, not only wasted taxpayers' money, but every time he got before a camp, camera, he lied about it, intentionally lied about it. So why not kick him off? Speaking of Adam Schiff, apparently he is now facing ethics complaints for political ad. You know, he's he came out last week and announced that he was going to now run for Feinstein's seat. Mm-hmm. So uh, they will be getting him out of the House. Hopefully he'll lose and we can get him out of Washington. But um, in his um, in his announcement his quote ad is like a three-minute piece he put on social media but he has video of him as the chairman of this committee which is congressional material i mean he he is Mm -hmm. not allowed i guess you can get written permission he just went ahead and took it and put it in his Uh. uh, campaign ad that's a that's a big no-no so as soon as you know this squeaky clean lying adam schiff Adam, piece of Schiff. Um, <laughs> as soon as he uh, is announcing that he's going to run for the Senate, he does so by breaking the law. So there's now an ethics uh, complaint. I, when I say breaking the law, at, le- at least breaking Senate rules. But you know, rules. statewide Californians will not care. I mean, they won't yeah. care. If he doesn't lose in the primary, there's absolutely no way that he won't have that seat. They'll, they'll, no Republican will win in California no. ever again. No, no. And uh, who Not else was running? There, there were a couple of other libs that were running. I don't see it in this article here, but I have heard some other names out there. Um, who's who's the black uh, member of the House out there? Uh, black woman. She's she's talking about running as well. Is it Maxine Waters? No, 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 no. no that's not Maxine. But uh, hmm. ah, what is oh, name? I know who you're talking about. But there's also uh, another liberal progressive. I think a Hispanic. Oh, but person. you repeat yourself. Yeah, I know. yeah, I've corrected myself. Progressive, not liberal. They're progressive. Uh, speaking of elections, so Nikki Haley apparently is going to make it official. Some people thought she was going to make it official today by announcing she was going to run for the presidency as a Republican. Apparently, it came out today that she will be um, uh, anna- uh, the official announcement will come February the fifteenth. And uh, also today, Tim Scott, both both of these potential presidential candidates are from South Carolina. Tim Scott came out today and said he's embarking on what's being described as a Faith in America listening tour. And uh, it will kick (laughs) off later this month uh, in his home state. He's going up to Iowa and uh, to a Lincoln Day dinner. So. Uh, interesting he, that Iowa would be one of the first states, yeah. and that's one of the first yeah, places. Yeah, I, he, what, what is it when they say they're uh, testing the waters? What is the term they always use of uh, 
kind of like a fact-finding mission or something. Yeah, anyway, yeah. that's what that means. Exploratory. That exploratory committee. And, that, that you know, he, he is uh, he is sticking his toes in the water and seeing what the temperature, political temperature is, whether he can run or not. Uh, in all honesty, both these candidates, though, as I look at it, I, a lot can change, I realize. And I'm, I'm a terrible predictor when it comes to president, who's going to be the next president, who's going to win, who's going to lose. But I would look at both of these and say they're vying for a vice presidency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I would say. I mean, I would ask Nikki Haley. Um, there's two things I got against Nikki Haley. I, I mean, I like Nikki Haley before as, when she was governor. But, you know, you, you may recall, you know, Donald Trump asked her to be secretary of state. I do, I and, do not. And she, I, I'd forgotten And I that, saw yeah. her in an interview, and she said that she basically said that, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm quite ready for that. But, I, you know, she ended up being, what, uh, ambassador to the United, United Nations. Nations. Yeah. Well, I would ask her this question: What's what's prepared you to be president when you won't prepare to be Secretary of State? You know what? Five and a half, six years ago. That's a good question. And she's got no chance. She's going to take. She's going to be the two or two to ten percenters that's going to take votes away, um, really, from Ron DeSantis. I, I think Trump's base is, is his base. It's going to be thirty to thirty-five percent. Tim Scott, if he gets in a race, I think Tim Scott will get a lot more votes than Nikki Haley. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah um pompeo they're talking about he he will jump in the race possibly pompeo's got no chance i think he'd be a good vice president oh yeah he's got no chance i think his political i think his political high water mark was the secretary of state unless he's chosen to be a vice president and i think the big question is is yunkin out of virginia so far i you know i i don't get the sense that he's gonna jump in i mean well there's without question um because i've got some i've got some inside sources of some things going on in virginia without questions he he's he, he's looking into it now he is limited to one term yeah as, a, as governor and, so and, and first of all he's loaded financially i mean he's pretty pretty well healed financially and he has a lot of he had he went to a political fundraiser in new york why are you going to political fundraiser in new york yeah, really so well uh, the, i mean you could uh, ask that question for a lot of these folks but again you know even if they're not vice president secretary of state or whatever uh, their stock goes up you know they can charge more for their speeches and everything else so it's uh it's a, an investment that probably p- pays decent dividends and there's people behind the scenes that that want to make generational wealth off his campaign by saying hey you got a big you can win you can win oh, yeah. And $12 million in campaign ad buys later. If they would only listen to Tom and Benny. Yeah, I don't know You know, you could save a lot of time and money. Just saying. Stay with (laughs) us. We'll be right back. I'm always reluctant after being here 37 years to tell people what the American people think. Uh, and I don't. I can't swear I do. I know what I think. I think I know what they think, but I'm not sure what they think. <laughs> this is Eastern Carolina News and Views. Welcome back in. And, uh, yeah, Joe. That, and that was, you know, that was a little clip of him back when he was uh, more cognitive enabled than he is today. What happened? Uh, um, so you remember back in... Uh, 2021 major league baseball was supposed to have the all-star game down in atlanta mm-hmm. and uh big stace yeah stacy abrams mm-hmm. and uh, crazy joe called it um jim crow 2.0 you 
he said, uh, you know, he said some stupid comment about it. It was instead of Jim Crow, it was Jim Eagle, whatever that was supposed to mean. <laughs> guess, guess what one of the finalist cities is still in the running and pr- pretty likely, and in fact, a bunch of really liberal Democrats from the South are pushing for this. What city the Democrats might have their next uh, presidential convention in? Hotlanta. Hotlanta. Mm. You can't make it up. I mean, I mean, they they just oh, Atlanta was terrible. Kemp was terrible. And of course, by the way, remember this Jim uh, Crow 2.0. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There, there was a study uh, that was done, and. In 2022, under the laws that Democrats contended were designed to suppress African-American voters, Georgia had a record turnout for the primary, a record turnout for the midterm election. A University of Georgia survey found that 0% of black respondents said their voting experience in Georgia was poor. And in the 2022 midterm, 73% of black and white voters alike said their voting experience was excellent. Mm. So, uh, old crazy Joe, uh, I mean, the rhetoric is just... Fully, you know what? Yeah, and you know Georgia's important, obviously. Um, yeah, that's the other reason they want to. <clears throat> yeah, it's go a, down there. One one of the five or six states that are you know got to be got to be focused on. So, the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum kicked out a dozen Catholic high school students and their chaperones. Why? Because they were wearing hats, toboggans. You know the winter hats you pull down over your ears that was inscribed with a pro-life message. Mm. I mean, I saw a picture of it. It was, you know, it, it wasn't in anything in your face. I mean, it, you, you look at all the shirts and things people wear that are just really, really offensive. Mm. Kind of like the the certain kind of hats that the you know they were wearing. Uh, oh, at the Women's March? Yeah. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I've seen, actually seen them in downtown uh What's that crazy place outside of uh, Chapel Hill heading uh, Hillsborough? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen a nut. Hillsborough Carver. Yeah, I've seen a yeah. nut wearing one on our head downtown Hillsborough. So anyway, guards come up to them and said that um, this was a neutral zone and you couldn't wear those hats. Then they turned around and started, I mean, these are the, these are the security officers there. Then they started mocking them and cursing at them. And yet it's a neutral zone, they said. Hmm. Now, uh, this is the epitome of absurdity, uh, a neutral zone, and then you turn around and mock them and he'll, he'll throw uh, curse words at them. Now, the Smithsonian came out and said, oh, that is against our protocol. But, you know, nothing ever happens to these people. No. Is mm-hmm. anybody going to get fired? Is anybody going to get punished for any And listen, so a, a, a week will go by, a month will go by, and they'll do it again. Yeah, and if the role was reversed for uh, you know any kind of Republican or conservative cause, you know they would they would counsel them, they would contact their employers, or they at least go public with it, so they would get some pushback from some employer or something. It's yeah. just it's just different rules. Yep, uh, totally frustrating. But yeah, you, you, you can you can express yourself any way you want if it's pushing the little liberal narrative. Wearing a toboggan that says pro-life on it no i I bet if a group of kids walked in there with toboggans with a patch on the toboggan that had the middle finger sticking up they wouldn't say anything. i bet they just ignore them yeah just ignore they're just kids being kids (laughs) 
Joe Manchin and Ted Cruz today came out and introduced a bipartisan piece of legislation that would prohibit federal government from selling American uh, emergency oil reserves to China. Again, you know, just like we were talking about this uh, parental bill of rights in North Carolina, talking about common sense. I mean, it's amazing to me that we've got to pass a law that says, please don't sell our strategic oil reserves to our adversary. Mm-hmm. And yet that's, this is where we are, that we have to actually make legislation up to keep Joe. And, and It seems like every time the Biden administration, and it was the same way with the Obama administration, every time they would make a decision like this, it would hurt Americans and it would help our adversaries every time. Yeah, and the response out of the left, because you know they said it before, they said, well, you know, we, we just released this to the private market. We can't control where the private market sells long, Then don't sell it. Well, well here, here's the deal. The strategic oil reserve is there for a reason. It's not there for political purposes. Right. I mean, I mean, just follow the rules. Since taking the office in 2021, the Biden administration has sold at least 2 million barrels of oil from the strategic uh, petroleum reserve. Uh and uh, this this is all gone. Eventually, it's ended up this two million barrels in the China Petrochemical Corporation, which is controlled by the the Chicoms. Mm-hmm. Now, you think about it. You reckon there's ten percent for the big guy in there somewhere? <laughs> I, I, I bet there is. <laughs> this is a drop in the bucket for China's oil consumption, but it could devastate our short-term emergency supply. Right. I mean, it, listen. And this strategic reserve, granted, if if we didn't have any other energy, we would go through it in a matter of a few days. Mm. But yet it would give us a few days. But now we don't even have that. Who has it? China has it. Yeah, and we, I mean, we're, in the last few years, we've limited not only our oil exploration, but also, uh, you know, we don't have the refining capabilities we've had before. So, yep. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a daggone mess if we really need it. In recent months, the Chinese government's emergency oil stockpile stockpile has overtaken our stockpile as the world's largest government-controlled stockpile of oil. Gosh. Bottom line, we're weaker, China is stronger, Biden is richer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I guarantee, and I guarantee all three of those things are absolutely true. Yeah, is is, uh, Joe getting kicked back? You bet he is. Hey, we got to take another timeout. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. So Kamala Harris uh, earlier this week was, uh, you know, I, I know our, our, the American people know we have a president that has cognitive issues. Now the question is, do we have a vice president that is playing with a deck that has less than 52 cards <laughs> in it? Well, I think she got a law degree, you know, like this. <laughs> I think she got her law degree, you know, just kind of like paint by numbers correspondence course or something. I'm speaking. So (laughs) earlier this week, I guess it was yesterday, she took part in a Congressional Space Medal of Honor ceremony to honor two former NASA astronauts. This this is unbelievable. (laughs) This is Kamala. Go for it. Which brings me to May 30th, 2020. Bob and Doug returned to the Kennedy Space Center. They suited up. They waved to their families. I'm speaking. And they rode an elevator up nearly 20 stories. They strapped in to their seats and waited 
as the tanks beneath them filled with tens of thousands of gallons of fuel. And then they launched. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> what a dip. Millions of Americans watched that day on the hills and sand dunes of Cape Canaveral, in living rooms, dorm rooms, classrooms, bathrooms, across our nation. <laughs> we watched Bob and Doug's rocket rise from the launch pad. We watched it climb into the sky and then disappear from our view. Yeah. And mm. most Americans are looking forward to the day when Kamala Harris disappears, <laughs> disappears from our view. Jeez. What a, I, I'm sorry. I know we're supposed to respect our vice president, but yes, boys and girls, then the rocket went way, way high. She sounds like it's you know story time at the kindergarten class or something. Uh, I mean, are you talking to three-year-olds? I mean, this, this, was, this was her delivery as they're handing out these Congressional Space Medal of Honors. To, to, some, to some rocket science. Yes! Rocket science she's not. <laughs> Thank Good Lord. Mm. Can't make it up. Um, hey, by the way, tomorrow uh, we are going to have a special guest on David Bullock, who is the uh, chair of the Board of Trustees for UNC uh, University System. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, new program up at Chapel Hill to develop a school of civic life and leadership which will hopefully uh, hopefully counteract uh, all the Wokies up in Chapel Hill. That's a tall order, but we'll talk to them about it. Hey, have a great uh, evening, and stay warm, stay dry, and we'll see you tomorrow. See you at 5. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.